Our Psalter lesson from this morning comes from Psalm 5, verses 1 through 8, which can be found on page 449 in the Bibles we provide on page 92 in the children's Bibles. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. If you are not a God who delights in wickedness, evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I'll bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, it's on page 952 in the Bibles we provide and 288 in the children's Bibles. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First, let me... um say thank you for the opportunity of uh, being here uh, during these three weeks. I've gotten to know some of you, and uh, it's been a delight to see what God is doing here. And um, let me also thank you as a church for amazing support you've offered to ministries that I've been involved with, like uh, Redeemer City to City. So uh, thank you. Uh, In New York, I was speaking to a young Ivy Leaguer who, uh, like so many others, were living uh, with three other guys in a shoebox of an apartment, um, drinking coffee too much, uh, eating bagels, uh, skipping lunch, and uh, existing on Chinese takeout from 9 o'clock to about 11 o'clock in the evening. I asked him, what? Uh, what is your ultimate goal, to live in New York? And he said, no, not really. I'm in the city, basically, to get it on my resume. You have a resume. But we're not starting with you today. We're going to start with the Apostle Paul. So we better read from this inspired passage, which which is uh, Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no doubt, uh, is no trouble to me and is safe for you. The gospel has to be repeated over and over again. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision 
who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now this is kind of a very quick summary of what we ought to believe and how we should live. In contrast, uh, though I myself have reason to have confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now here is his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That little section there is absolute in contrast now to what Paul is claiming as a resume. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain unto the resurrection from the dead. Here we have a radical evaluation of Paul's resume, a radical exchange, and a radical encounter. A radical evaluation, a radical exchange, and a radical encounter. And I might say, just by a sort of quick overview summary, the two ways to the kingdom, the two ways to, to God, the two ways to heaven, the two ways to life, and all of its fullness is either by my effort or Christ's effort. Okay, a radical exchange. What my parents gave me. Here's, here's my resume. Made to God and to mankind. Because he's very proud about that and spoke about that. In fact, at his defense with King Agrippa in Acts 26, he talks a lot about this same material. But here was his resume. What my parents gave me. Ecclesiastical advantage, unique circumstances, meaning a strict adherence to the law, national advantage, a pure Israelite, language and customs of the fathers to the nth degree in absolute perfection, ancestral advantage, he is from the tribe of Benjamin, that's what my parents gave me. Now, by the way, if you're young here and you're thinking about your resume, don't forget your parents. But what I achieved, his party, a Pharisee, his affiliation, his fraternity, 
the very elite party of the Jews, elite teachers, professors, studied under Gamaliel, his zeal seeking to exterminate the church, radically committed to protect Judaism from these unlearned fishermen. What would a person like Matthew know anyway? His zeal, seeking to exterminate the church in his righteousness by law. This is a religious case study, if there ever was one. But I hesitate to say that's our resume, too, before Jesus. The natural tendency, whether we're moralists or whether we're in some other religion of the world, is by my own effort, what I put on my resume, what I accomplish, what I eat, is, is going to put me in correct, favorable standing with God. And it's only through these passages like this in the inspired New Testament do we come to understand that that's not the gospel. That's not good news. That's really bad news. So here is Paul laying out for us what he had. Then there is a radical exchange. This is a little bit more difficult to see, but it's very important for us to try to see this. A radical exchange. Something so amazing that it shook his entire evaluation process and his entire religious framework. The amazing experience that he had was so deep, so liberating, so fulfilling, so much setting his heart and mind at peace that it caused him to reevaluate all that he'd ever known. And he talks about gain and loss. What I have lost is nothing compared to what I have gained. In fact, what he is really saying is, this pedigree, by comparison to knowing Jesus, is nothing more than rubbish. I've always been interested. The British use that word. Rubbish. I, I can't say it like they do. Rubbish. Do you know what rubbish is in the New Testament? Go outside the city of Jerusalem to the dung hill where the refuge is being burned. Think of that. What could be so absolutely in contrast and better than that? Christ came to him in grace and love and mercy. What I was profiting and what I had gained, I now count as loss. Loss compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, Jesus my Lord, and what we have in what Paul 
possessed and practiced to the nth degree is a performance-based religion. This is natural. In my generation, not so much in the new generation, but so much in my generation is what I really was brought up to believe is that I need to be a, a good person, a moral father, a good example. And God is helping me to do that. That is not the appeal to the young people of our age. Their big issue is freedom. How can I really be free? And there's two ways to do that also. So if we're preaching to young people, it's maybe better to preach not on ought, what I am and what I should be, and God will help me to do that, but we should be preaching to them probably on the subject of, of freedom. Can I really be free? But here is the loss of something precious in his sight to date, but worthless by comparing it to the understanding of faith and knowing Jesus. Now, some of this is very personal and tough language. Some of it's very theological, in which he talks about uh, gaining everything for the sake of Christ by faith and trust in him. Our natural tendency then, even as believers, is to keep wrestling with this. Keep thinking, oh, is my faith and is my trust really in the good news of Jesus and in his finished work? All through Tim Keller's preaching while we were in New York, before and after that, he's always talking about the default mode of the human heart is in Paul's resume. When we, when we really get down and out and feel that we're not progressing in spiritual matters, we tend to look back at performance. Well, I haven't prayed as much. Well, I haven't studied as much. I haven't served as well. And all those things are important in the right motive and in the right order. And somehow, even as believers, having been met Jesus by faith alone, we sometimes revert back. That is a, a default mode of the human heart. So what he has gained in following Jesus in the gospel makes the extreme idea of his resume worth nothing. Now, why is he putting this in this letter? Because Jews are around saying you need to do more. It's okay to believe, but you also need to be circumcised. And there are a thousand voices today that tell us the same thing. We have to be very careful. Are we thinking about Christ's work alone, the song, in Christ alone, my hope is found not in my performance, in Christ alone. My performance flows out of that in terms of obedience. 
So this is the comparison right here. And he's writing to his beloved friends in, in uh, Philippi. Remember, we talked about that in the first part. And why is he writing this to his friends in Philippi? Is it the, uh, theoretical theology? Or is this kind of a continuing issue and challenge for us not to revert, not to trust, but to trust only in Jesus Christ alone? Now, let me finish by talking about a radical encounter. This was an encounter of the mind. We don't leave our mind at the, in the library or in the lab or in the church. We use our mind. This was a, 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 an idea that had merit to it. There was reason for it. And this is the, the way the equation works. And this is what I had before. And this is what I have now. I've come to see think, understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me, thinking about the issues and the problem. In fact, Paul writes in other places, in Christ, to whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul was an intellectual. In fact, when the rulers were examining Paul to see if he was really guilty of what the Jews were saying to him, they would say, Paul, your much learning has made you mad. But he came to understand it is not in education, it is not in an advance of what I know or don't know, it is in a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. And it was an encounter of life that affected everything that Paul did, a radical encounter with life, and it was a personal encounter. This is a dividing point that I'm going to raise right now in closing between whether we're on the side of our own human effort, in Paul's case, his religion, or whether we have come and humbled us before the Lord to receive what we have not earned. This is the test. There are two uh, Greek words to to help us understand what it means to know. Paul says that I may, this is verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering. The first word is the word oida, which means I know about something. I have intellectual understanding. I've researched I know this theme, I know this subject. Or in terms of knowing someone, it is know about that person. Let me give you a simple little illustration. One of my favorite public persons, well-known athlete, is uh, Roger Federer, the great tennis uh, player from Switzerland. I've tried to follow him in his career. I'm always uh, trying to, uh, 
to take the, the first place in the television schedule if he's playing. Uh, I'm always reading about him in a newspaper. I'm always reading blogs about him, watching him, masterful, all around, incredible advance and skill in that. Now suppose we're here just doing some work in on a sanctuary, Friday night. He comes through the door. Can you imagine me coming up to him and say, Hi, Roger. Why? I've never met him. I only know about him. Paul uses in the second category another Greek word, gnosko, from which we have the word gnosis, knowledge. And let me be brave enough to use a person I know very well. She's sitting right here. I knew her when she was 11 years old. I've known her a long time. I know her deeply and intimately as in any rich and full marriage. I know what she likes. I know what she dislikes. I know temperament. I know reactions. I know love. Now, if this question is in your mind, you're following me. You're asking right now, are you saying we can know Jesus like that? And what I'm saying is, if we don't know Jesus like that, based on this Greek idea of Paul's If we don't know Jesus like that, we don't know Jesus at all. Historical figure, maybe even in your mind, in a lecture you know, he performed miracles and he was raised from the dead and so on. That's not enough. What is enough is to meet him like Paul. Maybe not in this dramatic way, but in the quietness of my own heart and life to see him. To touch him by faith. To love him. This is the way of the gospel. And it is an experience to be repeated day by day by day because we talk about deep, intimate, personal fellowship with him. If there's anything we all ought to pledge each other in this room is let's pursue that.
wherever we can, wherever possible, knowing him better and better and better. And recognizing that all the human effort that has ever been made in the history of the religious world, you'll find still smoking out on the dump. He says it's rubbish. This is not what our society is interested in hearing. This is not because we live in a fallen world and part of the fallen world is the idea I can make it. I have New York on my resume. The only way we can survive to prosper and grow and serve and love deeply, day by day, moment by moment, even in hard times, really hard times, is to open our hearts and minds and see afresh Jesus. Lord, help us to enter more deeply into fellowship with you. We know that you came to us first when we were striving. You came to us in love. You came to us giving us faith to believe in you. It is all because of you. Dear Jesus, may we recommit ourselves in whatever way that is, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, to keep one thing in mind more than anything else, to keep pursuing you, knowing from all eternity you are the real pursuer of us. We make our prayer in the name of this one Savior of mankind, even Jesus himself. Amen.